Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast with two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm your host, Wendell Burns, one of my counterpart, Savon Morris, and we got a lot of topics to get into today. As, as always, how's it going, man? Going pretty good, man. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. We're about ready to get into, into some of these topics. And um, to start it off with, uh, with kind of like a futuristic NBA topic, um, looking towards how next season could play out in the West. You look at at some of the the top teams, obviously Lakers and Clippers, and the Warriors. They're going to come back healthy, and um, all three of those teams in the West have amazing duos, um, duos that are are, are going to be at the at the top of the elite class in the league for next season. And to start it off with the Lakers, um, the LeBron AD pairing, you know, it worked extremely well for the first season together. You were extremely high on it coming in, felt as though they would be the favorites, and um, Kind of with the added elements of the pick and rolls, the transition in the two-man game with AD in the post and LeBron outside, um, they had a two-man net rating that was um, in the ranking of the 95th percentile. Um, both put over, you know, 25 points um, per game with uh, with true shooting percentages that were, you know, just above average. And they also had the most prolific assist combo in the league this season by by a really big margin. And um, LeBron said in an interview with ESPN's David McMenamin that. Quote, it's everything I, I expected and more, and um, and it really was that way because you know they were they were first in the West by I think by at least eight games, um, right. and and were really kind of start, starting to separate themselves from other teams in the West. Um, looking back at this past season, what did you like the most about this pairing? I think the chemistry. It is extremely difficult to yeah. come into a team, the especially coming off an of injury before you came over uh, to the Lakers to pair with a guy who's been in the league, he's paired with a bunch of good stars, but to have that chemistry right off the back, it was just reminding me of when he played with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, how immediately they knew each other's game by just like the friendship and just having that, you know, that relationship outside of basketball. But I don't know if those two had a relationship out of, outside of basketball, but it translated well onto the court. They know where each other's points are. It's just the chemistry of those guys. That's what I love the most about it this year. Um, and also, like, <laughs> uh, AD is bails LeBron James out a lot. Sometimes I feel like LeBron yeah. is indecisive of what he's want to do, or maybe that's just his, his whole game, if if, if you will. Yeah, so I love how the way, <laughs> yeah, I love how AD builds him out. He can throw it high to the ceiling and eighties coming down with it, or he's going to make a, try to make a play on it. I love just how they go all out for each other in that chemistry. Cause we know both know that it's hard to have that chemistry uh, right off the back like that. He's never really had a big man like AD. I mean, you, you, you look at, at Chris Bosch and, and Kevin Love, but AD has just been, and, and Kevin Love obviously in his old Minnesota days was a dominant scorer. Um, AD, definitely. especially with what with, with what he's able to do in the post and just being a perimeter threat, it's just like he can do almost anything that you would want out of a big man, and and that's yeah. kind of what LeBron LeBron w- was looking for um, in this next phase of uh, of kind of like his career. Because like when you look at Kyrie, like that game five of the finals in 2016, he needed a, a, a when when they both scored 41 and they just like <laughs> both went off in Golden State. Like that was the game where it's like. Kyrie has to like be an elite score, which he's which he always is. But you need another elite score, yeah. and I feel as though like like when you look at Dwayne Wade, um, and now with what he has in Anthony Davis, like just like you were saying, like AD's right up there in terms of the best duos LeBron has possibly ever had. 
Most definitely. Um, and it, I just look at you're definitely right when it comes to he's the best big man that LeBron has ever like had on a on a court with him. I, yeah. I, I looked at Shaq when he when he first came to the Cavaliers. Shaq was on the tail yeah. end of his career, but he still he still was that dominant force. But it's like mm. '80s, like 2.0 Le- um, Shaquille O'Neal because he could do everything. He's a dominant force. He's aggressive, but he also also can shoot the three point shot. He could create his own shot. He could ISO. I mean, Shaq ISO was a little different because they fed him in the paint, but that's kind of like an ISO in my eyes. But I think all around yeah. what type of player AD brings to to that team, it's just like with Shaq. And then I don't think Kevin Love is outside what is outside of, you know, demons and also the transition of being the top guy with the Timberwolves and having to be this three-point shooter pick and roll type uh, forward when he's, you know, used to ISOs, used to being the guy on the team. I don't think the the identity he had with Timberwolves, Timberwolf, excuse me, translated to Cavaliers. And Chris Bosh, I mean, I mean, he fit well into his role. I just think his play and injuries kind of, you know, stalemate his career. Kind of hampered it, yeah. It, 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 it kind of brought it down a notch because, like, he he really just was willing to be the third guy. Um, right. He was the elite player in Toronto, but he was just willing to take take that backseat to LeBron and, and D Wade, and that was kind of what um what, what really assisted them in, in getting to those uh, championships. Um, transitioning to to the Clippers and, and Ka- the the Kawhi and and Paul George duo, um, they they as a duo finished third in winning percentage. Um, second in net rating 11.4 and fourth in net rating swing 12.1. Um, but there were so many in the times in the season um, where they w- weren't healthy, but when they were both healthy, they just looked like a juggernaut. Um, defensively, that's where their upside is is most visible. Um, they're just a devastating duo at, at at wing positions with you know their their length, athleticism, and, and defensive IQ. And and one of the biggest things that Kawhi's grown with is is just his playmaking. Um, cause he had, you know, 5.0 assists average and, um, you know, on the flip side, the downside for this duo was the availability because Kawhi missed thir- 13 games, Paul George mi- missed 22 games. And, and we, we couldn't really see both of them healthy, like the majority of the season. Um, do, obviously the defensive upside is what makes this duo so amazing. Obviously, and, and, and they're really good scores as well with Kawhi's QA ability and also Paul George's. Um, but do you think this is a duo long term that we're going to have to wait more for their postseason appearances to like accurately judge them compared to like immediately seeing their progress in the regular season with with obviously um, how the load management factor has kind of played out for Kawhi? It's a bit of both the load the load management and Paul George not being completely healthy and coming off those injuries that he had with uh, OKC, then coming over and trying to transition back into him, him full himself. But I think we, I can't tell, I can't, we haven't seen enough of these guys on the court together because like you said, when they are on the court for the, the small set that they were, there were credible backcourt and frontcourt, but the injuries continue to plague. And then a load management of Kawhi and then the season kind of ends because of the coronavirus, COVID-19, then we don't really see the fruition yeah. of these two, that the potential it's up there, but all these other variables kind of cut into, yeah, and it, and it cut the other variables cut into it and dilute like the true form of these guys. Because when Kawhi is full strength and he's not Lowe's management, he looks like the the better guy on the court 
It doesn't matter who's on the court, to be honest with you. Even though the Celtics yeah. gave them trouble a couple times uh, this year, I will have to say that. The, those but overtime games, work. those were some amazing. The first one, uh, Jason Tatum has the shot over Paul George. They go into overtime, and then the second one, yeah, and they go into like double overtime. They, they, they th- those two yeah. teams are really even. Yeah, and and we can't. I don't think it's uh, the right to speculate even more because of we haven't seen enough of these guys on the court together because that's the. Yeah. When, you, when you sit the uh, the the topics over, I was thinking like, ah, I want to say Lakers has the best duo in the next two, three years. <laughs> but also, I just looked at everybody's injury history. I looked at yeah. 80s. LeBron James is the only player that hasn't had a play game in. That was the number one. Like, that years. was the number one thing my brother said. That was the number one thing my brother said when 80 came. He's like, this is this is awesome, but 80 has a lot of injury history. And that's my number one question with him. Can, can they both stay healthy? I mean, LeBron's going to stay healthy, but it's more so AD. Right. Because he's had a, a lot of injury history. 25 injuries in the first five seasons of his NBA career. First one was 2012. I think it was high ankle sprain. And after that, he kind of yeah. just went down here. He's probably had, I think he had, he has um, an injury on each, like each part of his body, two of both shoulders, uh, both ankles, knees, uh, finger. Uh, it's a lot more. Like the list is like a laundry list of injuries that AD has. That's the Fancy. one factor that I played into it. And then you look at Paul George, Kawhi. Kawhi's been healthy since he, mm-hmm. his uh, his injury. And um, I mean, I guess because of load management, I guess quotation around that. High, high 62 quotations. games last year. <laughs> right. And then you look at the Warriors, who we haven't got to yet. And I'm probably jumping yeah. the gun. But you look at Steph Curry, who was just came back right before COVID nineteen came in, and you you look at uh, Clay Thompson and you, the guys that are injured is still injured out for the, most out for the season. Like it's the yeah. injuries, man. It's kind of like you know deflecting me from like choosing who's the best best duo in the next two three years. To be completely honest with you, yeah, and, and, and that's an extremely tough thing to do because obviously um, last year's finals was was. Um, the outcome was was really not all like all of it attributed to injury, but when you don't have Kevin Durant and then Clay Thompson goes down and it's just Steph and Draymond, um, it's going to be really hard for for Golden State to kind of just overcome that when the bench was the, the, the bench depth wasn't as there as it was um, in the past few years with the strength and numbers a mantra that they had and and um, dealing with Golden State with Steph and Clay, um, we weren't obviously we weren't able to see them this season. They've always fit perfectly together and, and just both are all-time uh, great shooters. Um, Clay can score without needing to hold the ball for you know an extended period of time. And he's also got the size, quickness, and uh, two-way ability to defend opposing guards on defense at, at an extremely elite level. Uh, yeah. If you look at last year's postseason, he held Chris Paul to, to 8 of 19 shooting uh, when he was the primary defender and, and held um, Lillard to 7 of 21 sh- uh, shooting in uh, 113 possessions. And then... And then you've got Steph, one of the greatest shooters of all, of all time, if not the greatest shooter of all time. His passing, shooting, and, and ball handling ability is just as, as good as it gets in the league. L- looking at how it's going to be for them, because they're going to be, you know, in their thirties, um, and, right. and 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 obviously they're they're not as as young as they once were. But I feel as though I'm confident the shooting is going to carry them. They're going to be really good. Uh, they're going to yeah. be right up there as championship contenders next season. What is kind of your your expectation for this duo once they come back fully healthy? And obviously, the, the question marks are uh, are around healthy. 
to get right, to leave, you know, get back to where they left off, to be completely honest with you. We've seen before yeah. the COVID-19, we've seen Clay uh, shoot around. He looks good on the, I know it's like game speed, but shooting and being able to move around on the court like he, he once did. I've, I feel like these once these guys get back into the swing of things and once the NBA comes back and they're able to play together, I think this is the best chemistry duo. That's ever yeah. been. I'm I'm talking Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen. I'm oh. talking John Stockton, uh, Mailman. I'm talking I'm Kobe and Shaq. Like okay. this has been the best duo, in my opinion. These guys can do it all. They can create their own shot. They can. They're so efficient from the three point line. We've seen it. We've seen Clay. That's why they're called what the Splash Brothers. The Splash Brothers. Smash Brothers, like this is their chemistry is by like it should be the prime example of what you want your team, and it trickles down to everybody else that in their leaders. So I'm not saying any other mm-hmm. other guys aren't leaders, but it's just that chemistry and what they do together on that court is crazy, man. It's insane. It's insane yeah, to watch it, these guys every every day on the hardwood just doing what they love. They might be the best duo, Wellington. Uh, and, that, and that's where we're at. We're, we're at the question of among the Lakers, LeBron AD, the Clippers, Kawhi, Paul George, and their defensive excellence. And now the the duo that, to, to you, has the best commercial you've ever seen out of a duo. Um, if you had to give an answer right now, obviously, we're a, you know, a months away from the next from next season. Who would you kind of give right. the slight edge to as of now? As of right now, even with the injuries, Clay and Steph, man. I don't see Steph slowing yeah. down no time soon. I don't see Clay no slowing down. Soon. LeBron, so LeBron's thirty five. He's not very injury prone, but eighty is. Um, we don't know what Paul George is going to be healthy. He, we think he's healthy at one point, then he re injures his knee or re injures something. You know, low management with Kawhi and them not really completely having chemistry. Not with just that duo with the entire team because they're mixing people around. The bench is different every three weeks. So the yeah. best chemistry in the league right now, even with plaguing injuries, is Clay and Steph. Definitely. Hands down, yeah, hands down. I mean, these first of all, these series. Once I, I don't know what like Warriors, Lakers, Warriors, Clippers, whichever one. These are going to be some amazing series. Like we, we were doing the memorable game review last uh, last week. I'm sure down the road, four or five years from now, these are going to be in that list because all, all three of these teams, in terms of how how good the West is going to be when you add LeBron to it, and then and then um. Uh, Kawhi's uh, back in the West. It, it, these these series and these top th- and these teams in the West are going to be really battling out for the next three to four years. Three to four years. I I, I think LeBron plays until he's 40, 41. I think he doesn't slow down. But mm-hmm. we're looking at a monster right now. The things he was were, yeah. he's doing at the age of thirty five, still dunking, still lifting, still blocking, still like it's just he hasn't slowed down. He hasn't missed a step. He's thirty five. But I do yeah. think he plays until he's 40, 41. But I think the West for the next two, three years is going to be uh, fun. He's going to have to catch up. They're going to have to do some moves. They're going to yeah. draft some good guys because right now the West is lopsided. It's just Milwaukee. And, and, and I know I, 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 um, the with Chris Middleton and Giannis, I didn't even mention them because that's another duo that um, obviously has been really yeah. good for the East. And I, yeah, I mean, they're not at that level, but I, but I'm saying when you look at the East, you think of just Giannis, can he get to the finals and how will he play right. against, uh, you know, how, like, like, can he advance um, in a series that matters most? Cause in that Toronto series, they had an extremely good advantage, but when Nick Nurse had the different game plan, um, it, it was a different second half of that series. 
most definitely. And I don't want to like miss I mean, leave, you know, the Philadelphia 76ers out or yeah. uh, Toronto. Simmons. Yeah. And be the Simmons, Toronto, not just duo wise, just the teams in the East, but it's the teams. But you yeah. look at the teams, Miami. Yeah, teams in the West. Yeah. Oh, Miami too. Forgot about Miami. I think Jimmy Butler has really surprised a lot of people before, you know, COVID-19. I think he surprised a lot of people in those those rookies surprised. They were kind of the surprise team. They were yeah, kind of the surprise team because they had beaten Milwaukee twice. Which was a surprise to me because when mm-hmm. you think of the East now, you think of Giannis. And you think of and yeah, the Giannis. one thing the the one thing why I said that the duo is eh, because sometimes Chris Middleton is not at his peak. Disappears. And I guess <laughs> yeah, he disappears. And I guess Giannis always foreshadows, you know, Chris Middleton as a basketball player, but yeah. yeah, I don't know. That duo is kind of not like you know that level of LeBron and AD and you know Clay and and Steph. And Steph. They're not at yeah. that level just yet. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, transitioning to uh, to two A and the upcoming NFL draft. Um, one of the you know main concerning questions with Tua coming up are, are kind of how he's progressing from his hip injury that some people felt as though you know could have ended his career um, last season in, in, in Alabama. And he wasn't able to, to be in NFL combine drills in February as he was recovering from the injury. Um, also can invite scouts to his April pro day because of the, the COVID-19 situation. And, and looking back at his college career, he, he had the amazing assets and receivers, Jared Judy, Henry Ruggs, the third, possibly the, the top two receivers in this draft class, um, then Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell. And, and one of the articles from pro, the, the pro football um, focus draft, draft, uh, draft guide said, Tungvaluwa was blessed with uh, a bevy of playmakers that pumped up his passing stats and gave him easy throws. End quote. And, and some people yes. feel as though maybe it's, it's more, you know, it's more of the playmakers he, he had at, at his disposal. Um, how much of a concern do you think his injury history could be for him? Um, as teams have to decide if he'll have um, long-term du- du- durability. And, and my second question is, how much of his supporting cast was the reason for his college success, as he had, you know, an, an illustrious college career? Well, I'll attack the first question first. Those injuries are big. For yeah. a quarterback and for it to be a franchise quarterback, that's big. He's had two uh, injuries pat- in the past two seasons, high ankle sprains. Then he bro- he had a broken index finger in 2008 in the spring game. So it's a, those injuries alone are – and they came at the worst time, like the tail end of the season when it when, – yeah. excuse me, when it really mattered. So when, when matter you're most- a scout, you're – yeah, and when you're a scout, when you're looking at a quarterback, because the quarterback has to be flawless, to be completely mm-hmm. honest with you. They don't care. You have to be flawless. And injuries are a no-no, a big no-no when you're looking at a, a scouting of a uh, football player. That's high school or college. It doesn't matter. When you're looking mm-hmm. at a quarterback, Tua, you look at his his dynamics and his intangible things as a quarterback, He's he fits the, he fits the mold. But those injuries, like you look at – you put them side to side and you look at the injuries like, ah, I don't know. Nah, I'm going to pass up. Yeah. And three teams already took them off his their draft board because of the injuries alone. So that's to tell you how significant the injuries are in your past history. Mm-hmm. Are. It's injuries, your character, and are your character or your team player, your grades. Those are big. Those scouts ask yeah. all those questions. They ask people around campus what they, they think of you. They ask your coaches. They ask uh, teammates. They ask, you know, they they go in deep mm-hmm. because first, you, you're the face. 
yeah, you're the face of the, the franchise if you're a quarterback. So if we draft you first round, we're looking not for a great football player, but a great model and uh, image for our team. He fits that, but the injuries are plaguing. So the second question was, did his weapons? Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. <laughs> yeah. I no think brainer. when he first came in in the national championship for um, for Jalen Hurts, we saw the potential he had. The potential he had looking off. The it was a precursor. It was a precursor. Right. I feel everybody was like, "Oh my goodness!" Just give him a full season with, with these targets; he's going to be amazing. Most definitely. But when you add a guy named Judy, a guy named Rugs, a running mm-hmm. back named no, I think it's Najee Najee Harris. Najee Harris, who's a triple threat running back who can block pass, block, run the football, and catch out of backfield, which he did a lot last year. Mm-hmm. It, things are going to be easy for you. I'm not taking <laughs> yeah. anything away Smooth from you. It's going to be easy. When the guy runs a 4 2 4 3 and just blows past people, or Good. a guy who can make people miss in the in the open and have that yak every play, yeah. it makes a quarterback look good. Definitely. But, mm, I don't know. I don't know about Tua, man. I don't know about Tua. Yeah, and 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 one of the the weaknesses because um even Deion Sanders early he said he would take Tua over Joe Joe Burrow and I, one of the main things some people are some people are looking at is kind of like the the longer um kind of expansive success Tua had compared to Joe Burrow at this one year where he just was just like um flawless almost a 15 and 0 season but the injury history uh, definitely is, is a red flag and and one of the weaknesses on field that's been listed for Tua um has been his, his decision making because there's stretches where he'll make throws that you know aren't necessary uh through through 87 touchdowns and 11 interceptions at Bama with a 1 1.6% interception record then you compare that with his lack of arm strength compared to a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes and sometimes him not being able to to, to deliver um a, a completion of that nature. If his first read is covered on certain plays between right. the two, the decision-making and lack of arm strength uh, as a scout or GM, uh, which one would concern you most? I think with the arm strength, you can, you can work around. It's a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL that doesn't have the big arm strength, the big arm, but they can yeah. like, I, I don't know if you were, uh, would agree. Russell Wilson doesn't have a big arm, but he's precise in dropping in dimes. Always. He's a dime dropper. He doesn't have a big arm. His most of his throws are not over 40 yards, but he has a precise accuracy that drop dimes and he knows how to extend a play. I think Tua, when you don't have a big arm, you have to be able to extend a play and you have to be able to know the down the distance. And I think he's smart enough to do so. So the big if I'm an executive or a scout and I'm looking at a quarterback, well, he doesn't have a big arm, but I'm looking at his precision. And his uh, accuracy uh, percentage, his completer uh, completion percentage, does he utilize the checkdowns? Yeah. Does he read through progressions? Those little things, the little things that matter. The big arm is, okay, you have a big arm. Yeah, okay, whatever. You have a Patrick Mahomes arm. Great, great. Sometimes Patrick Mahomes is not accurate, though. Jared Goff has mm-hmm. a big arm. He's not accurate, though. I would, I would like to take a player like Russell Wilson or Tua who can extend a play who can I think Tua ran I think runs like a four six four six four seven in a forty which is a pretty good so yeah. big arm doesn't matter 
in my opinion, if I was a scout, I'm not looking for the big arm. That's a good extension of your game, but I'm looking at percentage uh, completion rates, uh, uh, precision. Can you extend the play? Do you utilize your check down? Do you do you make it easier on your offensive line by getting out? How fast do you get the ball out your hand? Those those are the things. I, yeah. As a scout, as a previous scout, that's what I looked for. Yeah, and and, and, and uh, before we move on, in terms of what Deion Sanders was saying, it, it sounds to me like like you would still say Burrow's the top guy, even though Tua has shown like a, 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 an electric season moments of brilliance, you would still say Burrow's got to be the top guy, right? Most definitely. And this is why I say that. No offense to Deion Sanders, who is a great football player. Long time. And, and has been around football a long, long time. I th- yeah. I, don't, I don't think he's taken into the fact that before he had that l- luxurious season, he was con- a consistent quarterback that didn't have the tools. He didn't have those big-time receivers just yet, but he still led that team to almost SEC championship and winning their bowl game. Yeah. And then also, yeah. I don't think he took into account that Burroughs can run the football too. I don't know if exactly. you watched the Florida LSU game. That the, that element killed us because we didn't we didn't take it. It was a tight game. It was a tight game going to the fourth. Right. Right. And he was he was running those down the distance was like 30 10. He'll run those wide open lanes. He can run. He's a exactly. mobile quarterback. I don't think I think people sleep on that element of his game, and he's a he his precision is better than Tua's hands down, hands down. And he has a big arm, well like then. Yep, big arm. So yeah, big arm, big arm. And he's accurate. He utilizes his checkdowns. He he makes it easy for his offensive linemen. He goes through his progressions. He's not rattled under pressure, and he's not injury prone. That's why he's going number one. Yeah, definitely. Well, before we transition to our next topic, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. We're, we're diving into our pop culture segments. And to start it off with, uh, with Tory Lane's new project, the new T- Toronto 3. Um, this was his latest project and fifth album um, released on April 9th. Um, it's his last with, with Interscope Records. And you know, he has more depth and introspection in some aspects um, for this project. Um, you know, more flaunting and, and braggadocia on, on the opening track, uh, Pricey and Spicy, and kind of the, the nuance of wealth as he's highlighting. And, you know, and then, then on the other side, he has the melodramatic songs, um, songs that highlight his his self-awareness and, and reveal what his, um, and kind of reveal his psyche. And um, one of the songs I wanted to highlight was, was, was Who, Need, Who Needs Love, where he contrasts um, his hardships in the past with his current disabilities. Um, and he says, quote, big pointers all in my bezel, call it my bestie. I spent a hundred and thousand all counting. Money makes me happy every time I count it. Who needs love when I come around flexing? Who needs love? Who needs love? When I got these diamond VVSs on my neck, big pointers all in my bezel, call it my bestie. I spent a hundred thousand all counting. Money make me happy every time I count it. And it's really covering the heartbreak and betrayal that he wants to to kind of symbolize in that track. And his debut his, his debut in 2016, um, uh, it was 28 songs, but he felt as though it was important for his narrative, even though it was kind of an expansive project. Um, and, and there's just you know vulnerability and during re- during uh, relevance that he wants to establish. And and this is kind of the end of of the chapter of his career arc. Um, 
um, outside of him being an independent artist as he's about to, to become. But what were kind of your thoughts overall on this project and the introspection and vulnerability um, he was kind of willing to share? I think, I think it was so dope. A lot of artists don't yeah. like, leave it all out in their music and they're kind of like sheltering people from their story. The, the biggest thing about doing music is in having something to talk about. What's your story? I want to hear your story. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of people aren't transparent. A lot of people got on Drake for, you know, talking about, oh, he's love, lovey day, all in his finish. No, he's transparent. He's giving you a story. This that was his story. Right. <laughs> Just like people love Rod Way because he's this sad dude talking about like life in the hood. Like, you know, people love NBA Young Boy. I don't know why, because his story, whatever. I don't know. But. <laughs> <laughs> But I, what I love about his project is because he... We're not huge NBA Youngboy fans on Full Scope. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. And you can quote us on that. We are Full Scope and we <laughs> approve this message. <laughs> but no, um, <laughs> what I love the most about he mixed both elements because I think before he started doing Chicks Tape in New Toronto, he started doing Nick, Chicks Tape, I think, in 2012, 13. And then he started pairing it to New Toronto because yeah. fans were saying that they wanted him to rap. Some fans said they just wanted him to sing. So he put them all together for New Toronto. And what I love about this album, besides his transparency, is he be flowing well in sin. We were talking to him before we got back into yeah. the segment. Broken a minute. Broken a minute. Broken a minute. A minute. Like, I, like, Goodness. I didn't respect him as a rapper until like this year. <laughs> because... I don't know if you know him and um, Jonah Lucas went in a rap battle. Like a, it wasn't a, yeah. beat, it was just like a rap battle and going at each other. And I was like, Tor Lane's might have some bars, man. Cause I'm, you know, I love, I, I'm a big fan of Jonah Lucas. I've been with him like since 2015. And uh, when I heard, I was like, why is Jonah Lucas battling uh, Tory Lane's? He's a singer. <laughs> That's not even me thinking the guy's actual <laughs> rapper. This guy raps? Yeah, he, got, he raps. Like, what's going on? I thought he was just like, um, I don't even say it. Whatever that hit song he had out. And um, But no, this album was crazy, man. Like, Who Needs Love? I love that song, too, because he was like, I was doing, yeah. watching his interview. He was like, man, I'm not really a lovey dove. Like, I've had two real girlfriends. So he said, I'm not a really a lovey guy. Like, I can be at a point where I have love for you and we could be in those moments. We can have great, great moments. I'll be there with you. But he was saying like, I'm yeah. still trait Tory Lanez. I came in. It's Tory Lanez. She wanted to be a regular guy, but I came in with money. So if you can't like accept me for being Tory Lanez, then we don't need to be doing anything because I'm not a regular guy. So I, I love the transparency in that broken a minute. Um, It's a couple more that I like. So, so the, so for you, so so for you, if there's if there's one track on, on this album that you know, if, if somebody was saying like, like like which one do you like the most, or which one do you think says a lot about what he was trying to accomplish, one of the top ones for you would, would be "Broken a Minute," right? Well, no, "Broken a Minute" is his best song on this project, in my opinion. But the song that really yeah, best song. Like, let yep. people understand who he was was "Letter to the City" too. Hands down, yeah, it was exactly. subtle. He had that Drake flow. He kind of he said. He said, he, he said, soon as you hear this verse, I'm, I'm out the record deal. They cheated 12 albums, four years, and that's a record still. He, he was he was giving out a lot on, on that on that song. Right. And then he said, he he quoted something about Drake. He said, I'm out of record. Uh, as soon as you hear this verse, I'm out the record deal. 
what's crazy he said what's crazy about that line is i actually took that line from drake purposely because i remember it was one of the hardest thing i, I ever heard him say as you hear this verse about the record deal like she did 12 albums four years and that's a record still head to the sky like emma till off the stepping wheel and minus all the sex appeal your boy about to flex for real so and then yeah. he had that drake flow to it like it was just like you know um uh not 4 a.m in houston um what is the drake song where he kind of dissed it tiger um Tiger at the end oh, 6 p.m in new york 6 p.m in new york it had that that kind of yeah. flow to it gritty one of my favorites. Yeah. Oh, you gotta love it. Oh, you got. Oh, you gotta love it. I heard was circulated. Let's get to the bottom of it. I told one to send me something, and I got it covered. Somehow, I always rise above it. Why you think I got my head in the clouds on my last album cover? The game is all mine, and I'm mighty possessive. Little Wayne could not have found him a better successor. Every yeah, he went in on that song, and it kind of reminded <laughs> me of that. So like that's and then he 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 let a lot of stuff out that I didn't even know. We were talking about this. I didn't know he was signed to Sean Kingston. He has no bad blood against Sean Kingston. He still had mad love for him. He was shouting out different people that he really yeah. loved and really rock with. He was talking about record labels or people that kind of did a wrong or just that didn't want to see him succeed. So it's just like as an artist, as an artist myself, I love when other artists are transparent with their with their fans mm -hmm. which is really dope because a lot of people don't do that a lot of people don't have any con content or um um just genuine just genuine like content for me because a lot of people talk about drugs yeah. and women or whatever but it's it takes a lot for a person to tell you about his whole career and how he feels about it that's real that's really dope to me and then he's a he's an excellent rapper like i gotta give him his props that made me flowing he got it. He, he he's sick. He's nice with it. Yeah, he's nice with it. Definitely. And 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 going um, independent is is the latest announcement. He, right. um, he made an interview with with Ebro uh, Ebro Darden on on uh, Beats One for um, Ebro's uh, Rap Life show, and he talked about how his best music music is still to come, and you know wanted to keep his real, his elite records in the vault right. until he was kind of ready to make the the transition as an independent artist. And he said, "quote I, I didn't want to give the teams." The team, those records that I felt were earth-changing records. That's why I haven't released none of my real golden songs. End quote. And um, and and, and that's and, and that's really kind of one of the things because in that interview, he also said this project was one of the ones where he gave the label um, more effort than he usually does. Um, do you think this new shift in his career is going to mm -hmm. kind of reveal the best and um, purest work that he's done? Because it seems as though like there's something he still wants to release that the listeners haven't fully heard yet. I think so, because there's a difference when you start becoming a commercial artist, like he did back in what, like was 2014, 2015, when he came out to just say it, that was a commercial song. It was a great song yeah. though. It was a great song, but I don't know if you listen to Summer Walker and her, like her transition into being commercial with this yeah. last album, it was trash. It was, it wasn't her. It wasn't her, you know, being authentic in her music at all. Authentic self. Yeah. And, and I think it's the same thing with any other artist. So when he transitions back to being independent, he can put out music that won't have no restrictions, no stalemate, no like, ah, we don't think that will be a radio popper or this. He's not worrying about, you know, trying to do numbers. He just want to put out great content to people, to fans to love. That's when you're at your pure self. You're not worrying about the numbers. You're not worrying about what the label company is going to say and the meetings where you have to play them your music. Like you're not, you're not worried about that. Now I'm free. 
I can put out music when I want to, how I want yeah. to, when I want to, like how I want to go about it. You know, it's crazy. You know, um, I think I think he does have something yeah. in store that can be very like in the realm of transparency at this one, but even more. Then he's not on a contract. He can talk about the different things that he wants to talk about without having those con- you know consequences come up. But yeah, I, I hope I hope he has something left to offer because he's been with Interscope for a while. He's been putting out music with Interscope for a while. So let's see what he, he has in store for his fans. Yeah, I mean, the, an- the anticipation of it is extremely high because it seems as though one of those things where he's he's really he, he's been waiting for this, but he's been with Interscope for so long. Um, do, like before we move on, do you think him him being with Interscope for so long and then just having to make this new transition? Um, if, if you were an artist and you had been with a label for, for an extremely long time, um, it seems as though it would have to be one of those things where you're just solely confident in yourself and just kind of the the message you're trying to bring. Because sometimes the commercial sound is just it doesn't translate as well as something that's just purely yours. Right. And I think it's, it just depends on who the artist is. I know a lot of artists who love being signed, who like, man, I love my label. They, they treat me nice. It just depends on the label yeah. because at the, end of, at the end of the day, it's a business. So they're going to do what's best for them. Like yep. he said in a letter to uh, Toronto too, he was like, man, I know you were stealing money out of my advancement. I know you was doing this. And then he would say, I'm, if you're not coming with, Anything other over a hundred million dollars is an insult. I'm not doing nothing. I'm not moving. At the end of the day, you know your worth, and you know what you bring to the table. You mm-hmm. know your value. Some some artists love being in that realm. Just like yeah, I, I want the bare minimum. Like I'm they they treating me good over here. I'm eating. That's what he said. Any offer under one hundred mil is just <laughs> just defensive. Yeah, it's defensive. It's an insult. Like no, like I'm not. Like you, we see what. Um, Young Dolph turned down $100 million. He's like, man, I'm, I love being independent. I don't want a label telling me what I, I can't do and what I can't do in owning a percentage of my music when I'm already making money without yeah. a label. Why do I need you? Why do I need you? So it's like when you're, you, I think it's different elements or different stages of the game for different artists because like Tori has been with different labels. He's seen, Interscope is considered one of the best labels. He's seen what happens. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't want to be part of that anymore. I think a lot of artists are going to go independent now. I mean, I think that's where we're yeah. going to transition because it's a lot of artists is saturated. So it's, labels can't handle all these artists. So at some point in, the, in being independent artist, it's going to be a, a, a known, like a known, not a known thing, but a, like a, a popular thing. And I think the one person who's done it consistently was Chance Rap, but he's never been signed mm-hmm. though. But I'm saying like the people that who, who have been signed are going to transition to being an independent artist sooner or later. Yeah, definitely. Um, transitioning to, to our last topic with The Wire and, and kind of its lasting impact and um, possibly being, the, the as some people would consider, the, the, um, the best TV show ever or one of the best. Yeah. And this tele- television drama series by many, uh, by many is considered the best that's ever been, um, went from 2002 to 2008 um, and placed in, in Baltimore. The cast was, was comprised of just an array of characters. Um, with cops, junkies, dealers, lawyers, mm-hmm. um, judges, doctors, um, students, and there were just different societal groups that were highlighted highlighted with the drug trade and the foot soldiers in it. Um, the police department, school system, and, and newspapers kind of comprised of uh, high executives and, and middle management. And each individual story is vital. I mean, how they make the element of social um, order dramatic and just overall how um, serious the series is in a stylish and intellectual way the analysis that th- that the, the director David Simon 
um, kind of gives on society and delivering a compelling plotline. It's just, uh, it's just, it's just really transcendent in how the, the, sh- the show was delivered. And the moral code is always questioned, you know, in, in an unconventional way in the audience. We as the audience, we have to, to, to reflect morality and kind of how they're, um, how, how they're kind of highlighting it for us. Um, but to you, why is this show considered the pinnacle of what a drama series can be when, when just all the dots connect? It had everything in one show, man. It had the it showed the corruption, and yeah. at this time, two thousand two, when it first came out, like I don't think any other show was doing what they were, you know, attempting to do, and it went off to, until two thousand eight, as we mm-hmm. know. I think it embodied the real the realness of Baltimore and the realness of the drug game, and I think a lot of people all when you think of drug and cartel, whatever you think of New York, or you think of Chicago. But nobody yeah. really understood how big Baltimore is and how like corrupt Baltimore is. It's crazy. Like they tell us when when my brother first got drafted yeah. and he, he went to Baltimore, it's like, yeah, don't don't get out your car. Unless you like you know the neighborhood or you got that thing on you. Because it's it's really real out here. Like in in the wire, they got it right. Yeah. That's why I love about the wire. It didn't it didn't sugarcoat anything. It was the realness. It had the the beginning stages of coming up in the game. And then how the how the mayors was involved in it, like it was a crazy. It gave you everything. It gave you the murder. It gave you the drug. It gave you the action. It was good actors in it. Idris Elba. Um, yes, it's a bunch of other actors I can't think of right now, but that's one of the biggest ones. Idris Elba. That he he first got his start in like in the in acting and stuff like that. So it gave you everything you wanted in the show. The realness of Baltimore. That's that's the the. That's the yeah. biggest thing. It gave you the real. It didn't sugarcoat anything. Yeah. And, and two of the most influent, influential figures on the show, or, or maybe one of the ones, the, the two um, characters that really intrigued me the most, Stringer Bell and Omar. And Stringer Bell, you know, he, he was second in command of, of the Barksdale Drug Organization. And later in the show, from you know his learning of, of um, macroeconomics at, at the Baltimore City Community College, um, he was contending, you know, he was attending, he was con- his control of the organization Um just tied in and he was able to apply those lessons to the drug trade. And, and one of the main things um, he was trying to accomplish was having the capital accumulation of this group at an, at an inaccessible level for um, the dealers. And, and he said, quote, every market-based business runs in cycles. We're in a down cycle uh, now, end quote. And, and, and with his be- business um, education and SAP, he just believed he could tame the system. Um, what were kind of your thoughts on him as a character and, and, his, and, and his rise up and, and just kind of what he was able to do just from the business side of things and what he was trying to accomplish as kind of always being the smartest guy in the room. See, that's the smart thing. You know, when you think of uh, the hustle, you don't think of people that have a degree or know the business savvy of of dealing drugs. You just think of like, you know, young cats or people just don't have that education, just doing what they have to do in the streets. No, everybody's hustling out here, even people who have the business savvy. So his character really stood out the most because he had that business credentials behind him. He just wasn't just a normal drug dealer or a normal person who's trying to hustle out here. He had that business savvy. He had both sides of the coin. So that's why he was pretty successful maneuvering his way throughout the game. He was like his his character really like grew on yeah. me because I'm like as a kid, like this came out 2002, whatever, 2008. I was still a young kid. I remember watching this on Sundays with my dad and my family. They we used to watch it faithfully, so I'm like, oh, so business people can sell dope too. Like people, like it doesn't matter what your credentials are, everybody wants a hand in the in the game. Yeah. 
So his character really like it, it has it had to be created and stand out because a lot of people just think, oh, drug dealing is just normal people, just like normal people from the hood. Nah, you got a business background. It's crazy. Yeah. And and that was one of the things you just you just didn't didn't expect from from a character uh, from a character like that. Right. And then on, on the other side with with um, Omar, he was just as as unique of a character, I think you'll find in any show, um, you know, <laughs> yes. he was the, the, the notorious stick up man. Um, had had the had the facial scar that that um that David Simon want, wanted to make as menacing and you know he was notorious for for robbing drug dealers and the corner corner boys all, all knew his name when he when he came down the city street whistling everybody's scattered they're like Omar's here Omar, Omar's here Omar, you, you know yeah. uh, you, you, uh, better get out there <laughs> yeah and, and the thing that that really drives his character is that you know his, his actions are just kind of directly correlated with a higher cause because one of the most pivotal scenes um with, with him is with with is with Bunk Moreland um, at the station house and, and it's it's their first meeting there and Bunk's asking um Omar you know why he'd be a witness against Bird and the giant killing and um Bunk says a, a man has to have a code and Omar's like um, oh, no doubt. And, 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 and that was in season one, episode seven. And um, th- that was one of the ones where it, it was something that Omar, um, Omar st- stick to, but it eventually ended being uh, his downfall. Yep. And, 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 and one of the overall penultimate scenes in season one, um, episode eight called, called Lessons, when Stinkham and, uh, and Weebay from the, uh, from the organization, you know, set out to, to kill a drug dealer based on um, Stinkham's initiation and promotion. And Omar's line in the weight uh, kills Stinkham and, and wounds Weebay, and then he has the the uh, one of the lines everybody knows: "You come, you come at the king, you best not miss." Right, and that was the overall personification of Omar. Like, if you have a shot at him, you better get it right the first time because it, you're, you're not going to get a ton of chances. Um, but but just overall with his character, um, what made him so unique to you, and just him kind of being the this figure that was just like feared by so many, like on screen and in the show, the code. His code, his code of ethics. He, he walked, yeah. talked, and he killed by a code. But you said it was end up being being in his demise and really going into the code. And also, he was fearless, man. He didn't care. He didn't care what was going on. Like I'm going to do. Yeah. I'm going to be Omar. And then him being, you know, that like that really kind of threw me for a loop. I was like, what? You have this big bad character, and he. <laughs> Come on, man! Y'all are really gonna reveal that? But that was that was a crazy reveal. I don't know if we're on we're on the same page, right, Wellison? Yeah. Okay, just making sure that you were new. I was. I don't want to say it for. Yeah, I don't want to say it. Oh no, no, no. Okay, we, we're definitely on the same page. Okay. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. So his character was crazy. <laughs> like it was just like he was that feared dude. He didn't he didn't care. Like he he's gonna live and die by the code. That's that's the whole hood thing. We don't we live yeah. and die by the code. So his character going through even going through his demise in season five, like he was still with a limp, you know, throwing stuff down the sewer. Like he was yeah. like, Yeah, oh, one, two, three, four. Oh, oh, I know what it is. Y'all, y'all might want to come out. Oh, I I will come in there, open the door, throw the stuff out. Boom. That's how feared he is. They didn't they didn't want that smoke with, with Omar. Oh then Omar was that Not character, bro. He was he was he, yeah, man. Come on. He made he, in my opinion, he made the wire. Definitely. Like his character made the wire. Yeah, and, and that was and that was one of the questions I was gonna ask before we get to favorite season. You would say him overall, he was the character when you look back at the show, that's the, the number one character you remember. Omar and Sno- uh Snoop. Yeah. Hold on. Snoop, oh, look, man. Snoop, yeah. 
Snoop, yeah, she it definitely, came definitely was up there. And then a fun fact, she actually had like a criminal background before she did that. Like she was in and out of the woman's prison. Yeah, I saw that. And, yeah she was in and out of woman's prison and then she kind of like fell into the role. She was like, I'll do it. I don't care. So it's like Omar and Snoop. I forgot her, the other guy's name that she rolled with who who beat um Sharad. Oh, Chris, who beat yeah, Chris, who beat the the dad's yeah. face in like really bad. Cold blooded. Cold oh, God. Chris was, yeah, Chris was another breed too. Those three characters. Yeah, you know, Marlo was whatever. Yeah. Marlo was whatever. But Omar, Snoop, and Chris. And then I'll throw Sharada. But Omar is the most memorable character from The Wire, hands down. Hands down. Can't go against Omar. Yeah. But Snoop, yeah, she was a dish. She was funny. And she had those sayings though. Like she was, she crazy. was so funny. Every every scene, she was so funny. Even when uh Sherrod was uh, you know, had her on a coot in it in the um in the alley, and she was like, uh, how my hair look or whatever. And she started fixing it. And she's like, Yeah, you look good, girl. Yeah. And bah, shot her. You look good. That's crazy, yeah. man. Good. <sighs> Ain't nothing touching yeah. the wire, bro. Nothing touching the wire. Nothing. <laughs> oh my gosh, man. See, 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 we're, we're trying to have all these lists of other shows, and it's just like, come on. This show's untouchable. Untouchable. Show's it's some great shows, man, but they were the this is the pinnacle in I, I mean, I mean, you have you have shows like Breaking Bad, this you have shows like Breaking Bad, The Sopranos. I I definitely think those are great shows as well. Right. The wire to me, it just it's it's a perfect cast. It just highlighted a criminal background outside of New York. I'm tired of New York. Everything is in New York, Brooklyn, Bed Stuy, like all yes. the drug, but that ain't all the where the drug is. It's predictable, at. yeah, it's predictable. Baltimore, let's do it in Baltimore. Let's give you the real Baltimore. This is why they have a crime rate crazy. Like that's why I love about in the time nobody was doing that in 2002. Nobody was giving you the real the real story like the crime rate yeah. or whatever. So like with the wire came on and the character builds with Omar with Snoop, like like Snoop was a soldier. She was good. She they wanted to kill Sharad because he yeah. was asking too many questions. Like you 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 don't need you need to do what you need, uh was told to do. That she's a soldier. So it really just had that mindset. You don't have to be in the military to think you have that soldier mentality. Because if you if you that's she was content in her place. She was she was the hitman. She was a hit woman. Hitman. I mean, what to call. She, she, she said one time, she said one time about a killing like deserve got nothing to do with it. Yeah, you know it's just his time, and and that's and that's kind of one of the things. Like it, it, it's it's not really about deserving in this show. Anybody can get it. Anybody can get it. Omar can get it by a little kid. By a little kid. That's crazy. Goodness. In a store pop. That one caught me off guard. I was like, "There's no way a little kid's gonna kill Omar." Right. No way. But they set that up perfectly because all the other kids ran. And he was like, oh, that's yeah. Omar. Oh, okay. And he looked at him for a second, and then it cut away. They're kind of like, okay, this kid's not afraid. This kid wants to, you know, whatever. Even when he killed them, he looked at him. He was shaky. Then he pointed the gun at the, the, the Asian lady, the Asian owner. And then he pointed back at Omar, tapped his leg. And he was like, oh, I really killed him. Oh, I got to go. I got to go. Like, that's a crazy scene. Crazy scene. <laughs> I got to run out. I got to go. Oh, I got to go. Like, it's a crazy scene, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And, and and getting to um overall favorite season, um you know, in a really good season for me, um to me, uh the fourth season, you know, that was just that that was the one where they covered, you know, two rising powers, um Marlo 
and then his crew and then uh, his crew taking over the west side of Baltimore. And then um, we have Tom, Tommy Carcetti as the new mayor of Baltimore. But the overall overarching theme, the individual, the, the individual stories of the four kids and, and the middle school, Michael Dukey, uh, Randy and Naaman, mm-hmm. um, those stories were so fascinating. Each had paths that were that were different w- with weak spots and strengths. Um, Bunny Colvin was was incredible, and and um, and and Weebe d- delivers an, an emotional uh, moment. Uh, Carver, he, he he's really understanding. He's really having to understand the area he's policing um, from Bunny, getting to, to know the people he was protecting, um, and, and just him coming to the re- realization that for one man, there's just more to overcome um, than you ever really can. But but this was just to me just a wide ranging, compelling season. Like when you think of the soundtrack, the the first season. I, like like, like the, the way down the whole soundtrack, I always think of that one. And then season four is an, is, is another soundtrack. Um, it, both are both are extremely catchy, and I and I think those are the, kind of like the top two seasons, even with the the wide ranging uh, elements. Uh, what was your overall favorite season? Season five, hands down, hands down. Too wow. too too much in there. Snoop dies. Chris in jail. Um, Omar dies by the hand of a little kid. The mayor. We show we show the the mayor. Um, isn't corrupt like it's so much going on in the season alone like those snoop getting shot by sharad uh and then omar getting killed by a little kid and then yeah man season five season five hands down that was the biggest climax i was packed into that yo like all the other seasons are dope but season five omar the great dies by the hand of a little kid so the finality, so the finality of it, of it, kind of yeah. gave you kind of the most satisfaction for this. Yes, day. because like you're looking at the seasons, and you look at the character Omar. How would, how else would he die? Yeah, you know, like what, what, what be his demise? Mm-hmm. His code, but in that code, a little kid kills him, kills him. Nobody else can kill him, but a young kid. Like that's crazy. That that doesn't like like twist your mind, like. Nobody else can touch Omar. He didn't trust anybody. Yeah. He let his guard down for a little kid. Crazy. And then Goodness. Snoop and Chris showing Sherrod the game. And then he twisted it on him. He was like, how do you? She said, how do you know? Y'all taught me. Get there early. Boom. Crazy twist. Oh, my gosh. How do I look? Yeah. You look good, girl. Bah. Crazy, man. And you mentioned that that quote again when she said, how my hair look? What is the overall quote? Is it is it you come at the king, you best not miss? How my hair look? Like like which quote do you, like kind of sticks with you the most overall in the series? Gotta be how my hair look because she knew like you can tell like she was like I'm gonna die yeah. I'm gonna die like she she knew was, I'm gonna die the way I want to die. How my yeah. hair look? Confident. I'm gonna go in how I came out. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm gonna go. I'm gonna die. Like I'm gonna come in. You know what I'm saying? It's just like I love how her character didn't face. She knew she was gonna die. She was like man, how my hair look? Crazy man, yep. that is a that's crazy. She just accepted it. She was like, hey, "This is what it is." Right, but Omar's quote too is dope too. But it's just like it's Omar though. Snoop was like the funny. It, yeah, Snoop was the funniest person, and then she went out funny. Omar she was so funny. Yeah, Omar <laughs> she was so funny. Omar didn't die a G, in my opinion. He died by a little yeah. kid. So he, uh, I don't know, but I think. The writers did it just because nobody else could kill Omar. Nobody. He was walking with a lip with a shotgun to his right side, still doing his thing. Only person who could get to him was a little kid in a store. Didn't even look to the right. No, I think he did look to the right. Didn't even look. 
Hold on, let me see. I think he looked to the right a little bit and then looked back. I'm gonna have to go back and look at. I'm gonna have to go back and look at that scene. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back and look at that scene. <laughs> let me see. I have the portal right now, actually. So he does look over. Okay. He does look over. Live looking. Like, oh my live looking gosh. Yeah. He did look over. He looked. He looked at the the mirror first, and he looked Good. over and saw a little kid, and he shook his head and he went back forward, and then bah, three seconds later, bah, he got shot. That's wow. crazy. Even more. Lights out. Yeah. Only body. Only person who could get to him was a little kids, and he wasn't trying to prove a point. I think they had a bounty over Omar. Yeah, I think Marlo put a, a bounty over his head. But yeah. Yeah. Definitely. The the, the the wire is just untouchable. An untouchable series. Yes, most definitely. Yeah. Top of the line. Yeah. Well, that wraps it up for today. I'm your host, Winter Burns, along with my counterpart, Savon Morris. This has been Full Scope. See you next week. <laughs>